Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Uh, we're really grateful that you're here. If you'll take your Bible and turn to Romans 12. Thanks for being patient with some of the things we've need, we're uh, trying to do so that we can gather safely. Um, and we'll, we're going to do our best to make that, that better over the next uh, few few weeks. So we're in the second week of a new series called Re-Exodus. Um, and uh, last week, we talked about how gospel doctrine produces gospel Christians who create gospel culture. All right, what we're trying to do is to remember who we are, remember things we know, remember what's the same while everything around looks different. We, we want to remember what we need to live into and what we need to, uh, to seek to be. All right, so that's what we're trying to do. We're remembering that gospel doctrine, this, re- this reality that in Christ we can be forgiven, we can be made God's family, we can be forever secure in the love of God, that, that gospel doctrine creates uh, gospel Christians who, uh, who surrender their whole lives to God, who refuse to be squeezed by the world, and who long to be transformed by God's word. And while they're being transformed, they learn to see that God's way is right. So that gospel doctrine creates that kind of gospel Christian, and those gospel Christians create something too. They, they create a gospel culture in a local church. And what we want, what we want in this series is to ask God to create something beautiful. Because if the gospel doctrine we believe that's beautiful, if it doesn't create something as beautiful then people could look at us and wonder about our gospel doctrine. They might even wonder whether we're gospel Christians. And so we're going to ask God to work in and through gospel doctrine to make us more faithful gospel Christians so that we can build and paint something beautiful here in and through Exodus Church. That's what we're going to do as we look at Romans 12 through 15 over the next few weeks. Now, I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. Uh, And then I'll pray again, and we'll jump into God's word. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for the privilege of gathering today. Lord, I pray that you would help us see wonderful things from your word, that as we look at your word and listen to your word, that we would see and hear wonderful things in it. Father, you know every heart, every heart in this room, you know every story in this room, you know every need in this room. So Lord, we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to speak with clarity and power into every heart gathered here today. Lord, would you do that? Would you do that? We need you to do that. And so we pray, asking all of this in Christ's name, amen. Now we're going to see three things today, okay? We're going to see our perspective, our place, 
and our part. Let's start with our perspective, okay? Look at verse three. Paul says, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, all right? So notice first, Paul's talking to everyone in the church. Now, this is important because the Roman church was composed of Jewish Christians. These are people who were uh, ethnic Jews who had surrendered their lives to Jesus as Messiah. And it was composed of Gentile Christians. These are uh, men and women from other ethnicities who had done the same. And so in Christ, these two groups who had generations of hatred against one another, who had long history of animosity toward one another, in Jesus, they have been made into one new man, one body called the church, and they've been placed into this church to love one another, to serve one another, and to serve together even when they don't quite see eye to eye. And so uh, Paul is speaking to every one of them, not just one side of that conversation, but every one of them. And he says to them, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So Paul wants them to think of themselves, both Jew and Gentile, he wants them to think of themselves rightly. He says to think with sober judgment. So there's a way they are to think They should not think more highly than that. They should think rightly, Paul says. Now, if we're going to think rightly, what does that mean? Well, it means at least three things. If we're going to think rightly about ourselves and about one another, that's at least three things. First, we need to remember that we and those around us are image bearers of God. We need to remember that we and those around us bear the image of God, which means you are created with unique beauty and value and purpose and meaning that you as a human being, that you are not an animal, you are not merely a mammal, you are the crown of God's creation. At the end of creating humans, God said, very good. So we need to remember that we and those around us are image bearers. If we're going to think rightly, if we're going to have sober judgment, we need to remember that. Second, we need to remember not only are we image bearers, but we're also lawbreakers. In Romans 3, Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Every one of us. Every one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've got to remember that if we're going to think with sober judgment. And when we remember that, we need to remember two things. We need to remember, number one, because of that, we deserve God's wrath. Every one of us deserve the wrath of God because we're lawbreakers. Second thing we need to remember related to that is not only do we deserve the wrath of God, we need to remember that we're going to disappoint one another. That if we're lawbreakers, that means someone's going to break a law against me and I'm going to break a law against someone else. So we're image bearers of God, we're law breakers, we've sinned against God. The third thing we need to remember, if we're going to think rightly, if we're going to think with sober judgment, the third thing we need to remember is that we can be grace getters. Romans 3 says, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And verse 24 says, and are justified as a gift by his grace. So just like every one of us have broken the law of God, any one of us can get the grace of God. Because Jesus died so that image bearers who were lawbreakers could be grace getters. That's why he died. So that we could be forgiven, made part of his family, and forever secure in the love of God. 
And if we're going to think rightly, if we're going to have sober judgment, if we're not going to think too highly, but think rightly, we've got to remember at least those three things. At least those three things. And when we lose one of those, we get off into really bad spots. Okay? We get off into a bad spot. When one gender specifically forgets that the other is made in the image of God, we get sexism. When men think they're better than women, or when women think they're better than men, we get sexism. And sexism is an assault on the image of God. You're saying to God, what you made is not valuable. When one group thinks that the other group thinks they're better than the other group because of some made-up category, experience, education, money, employment, whatever. When one group looks down on another group, we get elitism. And elitism is an assault on the image of God. And when one ethnicity looks down on another because of the color of their skin or the country of origin, we get racism. Racism is an assault on the image of God. And it's been a problem throughout all of human history. In fact, it's a problem here in the Bible. Jews, Jews, were, were, uh, Jews hated Gentiles, and Gentiles returned the favor. There was this great division and anger and animosity between these two groups of people. And yet in Jesus, Jesus' death has brought them together and made them into one family called the church. And yet, this, this ethnic issue keeps showing up throughout the Bible. And the first dispute in the Bible, in the book of Acts, is because Gentile widows were not being served in the same way that Jewish widows were. It was an ethnic issue, not an administrative one. In um, Galatians, Peter is found to be responding to uh, Gentiles differently when Jews show up. And Paul calls him out and says, look, Peter, this is not in step with the gospel. Peter was showing himself to be a racist. In, in Romans 14, what we're going to get to around things we disagree about, that's going to be some ethnic things that are dividing the church here in Rome. And Paul's going to tell them how to navigate that so that they can display the love of God to one another and to the world. Racism is an assault on the image of God. And when we are not thinking rightly, when we think of ourselves too highly, we're going to fall into one of those three. We have the potential to fall into one of those three. Each of these is an assault on the image of God. They're also a breaking of the law of God and they deserve the wrath of God. But thanks be to God that he sent his son to die so that we could get the grace of God. And Paul wants these people to think rightly, not too highly, to think rightly. Now, anytime these three things, particularly the last one, anytime that one comes up, there's this thing in us that wants to say, but I'm not that way. I'm not, I'm not a sexist, I'm not an elitist, I'm not a racist. We wanna kind of push back on that. And I've, I've done the same because I'm looking at my life going, I don't think I'm that way. But here's how I'm starting to respond when someone su suggests I consider that question. I'm starting to respond like this. The book of Jeremiah in chapter 17 tells me that the heart is dece deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And so when someone suggests that I consider that, I'm saying to this, I'm saying to God this, God, 
Um, my heart is so wicked and deceived that I can't even know all of it. So, Lord, would you shine your light into all of my heart so that I can repent where needed? Instead of immediately pushing back, saying, no, how about, how about saying with, with Psalm 139, search me and know me, O God. Search my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. Now, because I'm an image bearer, I know I have dignity. Because I'm a lawbreaker, I know I need grace already. And because I've trusted Christ, I know I have his grace so I can invite his gaze. I can say to God, 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 look in my heart. Look into me and show me where I need your grace and to change. Paul says we need a perspective where we don't think of ourselves more highly. We need to think rightly. We need to think with sober judgment. We need that. We need that. We need to remember we're image bearers of God, that we're breakers of God's law, and that we can get God's grace. We need to remember that. Second thing, we need to remember our place. Look at verse four. As in, uh, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not, have all the sa- do not all have the same function, so we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Paul wants these people to remember not just, hey, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but remember you're also part of the family of God. Jew and Gentile alike have been put into the family of God. And so though you are individual members, you're members of one another. So he wants them to remember this. He wants them to remember that they are equal members who don't all have the same function. Look at that in verse four. He says, and the members do not have all the same function. So they're equally, equally valuable, but they all do different things. And then notice that though we are part of this corporate body, we don't lose our individuality. We actually get to express it. He says that in verse five. He says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So the church isn't some collective that we, where we lose our individuality. It's a community where we get to express it. And that gets us to the part we get to play. We have a place in God's family and we have a part to play in God's family. Look at verse six. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Now Paul is reminding us, hey, you have gifts of grace. He's reminding us they're gifts of grace. So these are not skills we achieved, they're gifts we received, okay? So we walk humbly with them because they're gifts. We didn't earn them, we didn't deserve them, we got them as a gift. And then we are to use them, he says in verse six. Let us use them. And then he tells us how we are to use them in verses six through eight, okay? He's gonna, some of them need some explanation, uh, some of them don't. All right, let's start in verse six. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, some people connect prophecy to preaching. That's not what it is, okay? The gift of prophecy is not preaching. What prophecy is, is this gift that some people are given by God to spontaneously speak what they hear, to speak what they spontaneously hear from God into, uh, to a person or a situation, Okay, so this is someone who hears from God what they need to say to a person or situation. Now, that gift needs to be used in a certain way. That's why Paul qualifies it there in verse six. 
He says, in, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, that can mean at least two things, okay? First, it could mean that the prophecy has to be consistent with faith as a system of doctrine. So in other words, if you hear something from God and it doesn't line up with God's word, you keep it to yourself, all right? Okay, if it, that's, that's one way we could read that. The second way we could read that is in proportion to our faith means that we are certain, as certain as we can be, that it is from the Lord, okay? In other words, you've, you, you just have this sense that you need to say something to a friend or a brother or a sister in Christ. You're going to pray through that. You're going to sift it through God's word. You might even share it with another brother or sister to say, hey, listen, I'm kind of having this sense that I need to say something. Do you agree? You pray. And to the degree that you are certain, you say it. Now, it could mean either one of those. I say, let's, why not both, right? I mean, if you have something that you feel like God has placed on your heart and it's not consistent with God's word, keep it to yourself, all right? And if you're not sure that this isn't coming from bad pizza or a bad place, like sometimes we just want to be mean and call it prophecy, that's not honoring to the Lord, Okay? But he says, if prophecy, like if God has given you that gift, to use it in a way that's proportionate to your faith. This needs to be used like a scalpel, not a machete. Okay? The next three, Paul seems to not need to explain. He says, um, if, if service and our serving to the one who teaches and is teaching. In other words, if you have that gift, you just need to use it. It doesn't need to be explained. The next one. Um, no, and, and is, uh, and is t- serving and teaching to the one who exhorts in his exhortation. Now, exhortation is like encouragement with a kick in the pants, all right? It's like, hey, you're awesome, get after it. And if you have that gift, use it. Like a friend of mine says, you will never meet someone who is too encouraged, okay? So if you have that gift, use it to the glory of God. Now, the next one. He says, to the one who contributes in generosity. First Sunday back, we get to talk about giving, Isn't that great news? Um, Now, this is not speaking of like the regular practice of believers to support the work of God with God's resources. Like throughout the Bible, like the general arc of the Bible is that God's people uh, fund God's work with God's resources that he's given to them. That's the general story arc of the Bible. And if you're a member here at Exodus, you've agreed to give sacrificially, joyfully, and regularly. And I just want to say real quickly, we are so grateful like your faithfulness, particularly over the last three months, has just been so encouraging. And I'm so grateful for your faithfulness to give. Now, this is not talking about regular giving. This is talking about a gift of giving. And maybe you might be tempted to think, well, I don't have that gift. I don't have to give. That's not what it's saying, all right? But to those who do have that gift, you need to be generous, is what Paul's saying. For the one who contributes in generosity. Next, he talks about the one who leads with zeal. The opposite of lead, the, the opposite of zeal is lazy. And so if you're a leader, you need to be zealous about the leadership that God's given to you. And I would just ask you to pray for the leaders of our church. I would ask you to do that. Like uh, walking through the decade known as 2020 has been difficult, all right, for all of us. So I just would ask for you to pray for the leaders of our church. And then lastly, he says, to the one who does acts of mercy 
with cheerfulness. Acts of mercy is serving the least, the last, and the lost. And so it's going to be tempted to not be cheerful while you do it because you're looking at a mountain of need and a little bucket of help. And he says to do it with cheerfulness. And so Paul is saying that we all have a place in the body and we have a part to play because God has given us a gift of grace and we need to use them for God's glory. So he wants us to have a gospel perspective. He wants us to know our place in the body. He wants to play our part. So how do we apply this? One thing today. We must think rightly about ourselves and about one another. We must think rightly. We need to remember that we're image bearers. We need to remember that those around us are image bearers. You have never met just a human. They are image bearers of God. So they have great dignity and value. And man, some of us struggle. Some of us struggle with that. We struggle to believe that we have dignity and value. We struggle with how we're made. We don't like our hair. We don't like our size. We don't like our height. We don't like our whatever. We, we don't like how God has made us. You're an image bearer of God. We need to remember that we're lawbreakers. Every human you meet is a, is a lawbreaker. Even that precious little one that you love so much. I know it surprises you to know they're a lawbreaker. And so we deserve God's wrath, and we will disappoint one another. And we need to remember that we can be grace getters. Any one of us. Every one of us are lawbreakers. Any one of us can be grace getters. Any one of us. If we simply repent of our sin and place all our hope in Jesus who died on the cross... So that image bearers who are lawbreakers could be grace getters. We've got to think rightly about ourselves and one another. We've got to think rightly about ourselves and one another. We've got to remember we have a place in the body. One of the reasons the last 12 weeks have felt so weird is because we missed this. We missed the, the, the awareness that we were part of something called a body, called a local church. You have a place among God's people. And when one part suffers, the rest of us suffer. Every one of us, well, most of us have the experience of walking through the house and your little pinky toe gets, hits the side of a piece of furniture. And your whole body, including your mouth sometimes, your whole body gets involved in that pain of that little insignificant part of your body. That's how the church is. We have a place to belong here. And we have a part to play. And when we're not thinking rightly about ourselves and others, we start to think, I wish I had that gift instead of the one God gave me. I wish I had what God gave that person instead of what God gave me. God, why did you give me this gift? This gift isn't awesome. I want that gift. We need to think rightly. We need to think rightly. We need to remember that we have a part to play and that God's painting something beautiful with the gifts that he's given I used to tell a story about a box of crayons that I never got. I've gotten two in the last month and a half, which has been great. Uh, so I can color with lots of colors. I love the picture in 1 Peter 4 about how God's gifts to God's church are, are called multicolored. God's multicolored grace that he's painting a beautiful picture. But that will only happen when we think rightly about ourselves and one another. If we're not thinking rightly when we start thinking too highly of ourselves, it's very hard for God to paint a beautiful picture. 
And that beautiful picture matters not just for us to enjoy, but for the world to see. Ray Ortland writes this in his book. He says, gospel doctrine creates gospel cultures called churches where wonderful things happen to unworthy people for the glory of Christ alone. Isn't that good news? Where wonderful things happen to unworthy people for the glory of Christ alone. But it doesn't end in our churches, he says. A gospel-defined church is a prophetic sign that points beyond itself. It's a model home of the new neighborhood Christ is building for eternity. And he says this, people can walk into this kind of church right now to see human beauty that will last forever. Such a church makes heaven real to people on earth so they can put their faith in Christ now while they still have a chance. Exodus, may it be. May it be that Exodus would be a model home for the new neighborhood God's building into eternity. And it will only be that if we think of ourselves rightly, not too highly. If we own our place here as part of God's family and if we play our part. Let's pray to that end. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you forgive us of our sin, that you make us part of your family, that you make us secure in your love forever, and that you make us part of this thing called the church that you're building. Lord, I pray that we would never uh, never lose sight of the beauty of that, never lose uh, gratitude for the joy of that, never lose awe for just the majesty of it, that you are taking us and building us into something that you intend to be beautiful. Thank you for all the ways that we have seen that over these years. Thank you for all the ways you want to do that in the years to come. And Lord, we, we, we lay ourselves at your feet because you're the only artist that can make something beautiful out of us. So would you do that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.